Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Uh, this is going to be a fun, fun Sunday. We're going to finish up our Prove It series where we've been going through the book of James. Uh, and so you guys are repping your OU or OSU gear. All right, calling your shot for Bedlam next week. All right, so all right, who, who's go pokes? Let's hear you. We got two, all right. We got, okay, hey, and, and Boomer. A, a little bit more. Uh, who's super confident that their team's going to win? Uh, yeah, I don't think either, either of us, right? It's been a rough season. Uh, I'm going with the home team, all right? I'm going with my team, the Sooners. Uh, but even though I am a Sooners fan of the Cowboys, Pokes, you pull this off next week, I'll be sporting some OSU gear on stage, right? That's just how this goes. I'm going to represent it. Uh, so we got that going on today. And then not only are we finishing up the series, are we repping our teams? Uh, at the end of the service today, we actually are going to take uh, the Lord's Supper together. And so I'm super excited for all that we have planned today. Uh, before we jump into the Word, let's take a minute and pray. We've done this the last few weeks. I think it's just a good uh, thing to do, a good habit to just put your arms out, uh, palms up, close your eyes, uh, take a deep breath. Focus on the fact that, that God is, is near to you. He is just as near as that breath that you're breathing. And he isn't here to shame you or to condemn you. He is near because he loves you and he wants to have an intimate relationship with you. So with that posture, with our body of surrender, uh, God, this morning, we, we want what you want. Would you feed us with your word? Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you change our hearts? Uh, bless uh, our time together in your word this morning, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, today we're going to finish up the last bit of James. Uh, it's going to be in James chapter 5. We're going to talk about, uh, going to cover prayer and the power of prayer, and then at the end we're going to talk about restoring believers, and it kind of seems like those are, he's going to make this jump there, uh, because remember, it's almost as if in chapter 5, James is like he's running out of parchment. He's like going from one thing to the next uh, really Quickly, So before we talk about prayer, uh, I want to make it clear before we get into what this text has to say, uh, that God is not your vending machine. God is not your lotto ticket. We did a whole series on this a couple months ago. If you want to deep dive into specifically prayer, I'd recommend giving that a listen. Uh, but today we're going to talk about the power in prayer. And I, and I believe there is uh, great power in prayer and that God does miracles because he hears our Prayers. I, I just I want you to know that I believe in the power of prayer. Okay, and God is not your 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 vending machine or your lotto ticket. He's not either one of those things. So let's hop right into it. James five, verse thirteen through fifteen. All right. Um, whether you're a Pokes fan or a Sooners fan, what are we going to do on those words in the yellow? All right. We're going to shout them out. Be loud. Be proud. All right. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should. Are any of you happy? You should. Praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. There we go. Uh, so there was a lot to unpack there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back through this piece by piece. Peace. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. James is telling us that if you're having a hard time, uh, God's desire, he desires to connect with you, that your hardship should make you run to him. If you're suffering, you should pray. 
And then he right after that, he says, if you're happy, you should sing praises. And I've been chewing on these verses for a bit now, and I wonder how often we do uh, the opposite. Uh, someone is suffering, and we say, let's just praise our way through this. Right? Uh, someone is happy and joyful, and we don't celebrate what's happening. We're like, well, let me just, let me just pray for you. Uh, and then it says, if you are sick, you should call for the leaders in the church to come and to pray for you and then to anoint you with oil. Now, depending on your church background, that might sound a little weird, all right? So I want to unpack uh, that word anoint. I will unpack that word anoint. In the Bible, uh, when we see the word anoint, there's actually two words that are translated from the original language into the word anoint. There's two words that are used. So one word that's translated anoint is the same that Jesus uses when he talks about fasting. Jesus talks about fasting here in Matthew 6. Let's look at this. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Jesus is telling them to do that because uh, that your fast may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's go back to that previous one. Go back. There we go. One more. There we go. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Uh, there's actually other translations that don't say anoint right here. It actually says to comb. Uh, it says comb your hair. And so what Jesus is getting at here in this point, the point that he's saying is if you're going to fast, if you're going to withhold from food or you're going to withhold from something, instead of making yourself look downtrodden like, man, I'm so hungry, I'm so tired, I don't have the things that I need. He's, Jesus is saying if you're going to fast, put yourself together so that people don't know that you're fasting. And so that word anoint, in other translations, it says comb. It's talking about, hey, uh, put a little product in your hair, right? Like if that would be like almost the most literal uh, translation here. So that word anoint, it's not talking about some uh, religious ceremony, th this version of the word, but simply uh, in this context, get cleaned up. Put something in your hair. Make it look like you've put it together. The other word that's used in, uh, that's translated to anoint, it's only used five times in the New Testament, and it is used in a, like a religious sense. Uh, the word we get, Christos, right, and that means Christ the anointed one. This refers to uh, the anointing of Christ by God the Father. That's, that's the other one that's used there, okay? It's only used five times in the New Testament. The word here in James is actually that first one. Okay, so it's not talking about this religious sense that we're going to anoint someone. Uh, no, think about how practical James has been throughout this whole, this whole book. Uh, he is a very practical, a very what's the next step, uh, what's the logical things. All right, so James is literally saying, rub some oil on it. All right, and so I want you to give a, a little bit more context uh, on this. On the Old Testament, this is a, a quick example. There's this guy named Hezekiah. He was sick. He had this like boil on him. And it uses the same word, anoint. Uh, they, put an, they anointed him, and basically what happened is they put this ointment, if you will, this medicinal thing on a boil that he had, and it remedied his situation. So that anointing that it talks about in that story, where it's almost like he's applying this thing that's going to fix it, is the same word that he's using here in James. James is being very practical. He says, hey, if you're sick, have some leaders in the church pray for you and put something on what is hurting you, all right? Like, if your head is hurting, put it on your head. Uh, one commentator I read, he, put, he said it this way. This will be the modern translation. 
call the elders to pray, and then go to the best doctor that you can get. All right, and I think uh, that's kind of right on the money. It would be a mistake to say that James is referring to a religious ceremony of putting some oil on someone's head. Uh, I think sometimes there's this feeling of like that the prayers give healing properties to this oil. Like it's this religious thing, but James being the, he's definitely this practical man, um, but I want you to notice how he doesn't, when it comes to the sickness, he doesn't just go to the practical first. And I want to I make that distinction there. He does get to the practical. He talks about how uh, you should uh, anoint them. You should put, give them some sort of medical attention. But what did he say first? He said to pray. Then after they pray, he tells them to put something on there that's going to promote health. Uh, and then he comments not on the oil, but he comments on the prayer. We're going to go over three slides here. and I got something I want to show you. This is what it said in verse 15. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Now, now he's, he's kind of got two sides of the same token. He said, hey, we're going to pray, and such a prayer will heal the sick. Uh, but he just said, hey, also I want you to take some oil. I want you to have some medicine that's going to heal that such uh, prayer. It's like, well, which one is, is working here? Uh, when you pray for someone that is sick, you pray for them, and then they get medicine, and they get better. Question, was it the medicine, or was it the prayer that made them better? Yes, right? The answer is yes, both. Uh, yes, they are better. Guess what? If you prayed for someone to get better, and they get better, God answered your prayer. Yes, the medicine made them better. Modern medicine is a common grace from God for all of us who have access to it. I got a story. Um, I hope you guys are ready for a lot more like basketball illustrations because I'm coaching my son's 8U team and like little kids are like walking sermon illustrations. So I just hope you guys are ready for this for the season. Uh, anyways, we, we had a basketball game last week. I had two of them preseason. Um, and uh, after the game, we're, we're driving home. We're going to grab some dinner. And uh, Cooper was not feeling well. He, like, had a headache. Uh, just, he was, like, overheated. He had worked. We only had, like, five kids, so he played a bunch in that game. And we're, we're stopping to grab dinner, and he's like, Dad, I'm, just, I'm not feeling good. Um, he hears, you know, he says that. Me and Kelsey are like, hey, let's get you some food and some water. I think once you get some food and some water, you're going to feel better because you've been running around uh, for about an hour now just hard. And you're just dehydrated. You haven't ate much because you didn't want to have a heavy stomach, like, me and Kelsey are trying to be very practical. Hey, uh, as we're getting out of the car, Clay, um, my youngest son, he says, uh, Dad, can we pray for Coop? Um, nothing like your kids humbling you. I don't know how they do that. Uh, so I'm like, yes, Clay, absolutely. Like, I love that. Will you, will you pray for him? So there in the parking lot of Bubba's, all right, uh, this six-year-old uh, sends a prayer up to God, God the Father in heaven. He sends his prayer up for his big brother. Would he feel better? Uh, five minutes later, we're inside sitting at the booth. Coop, he's been sipping on some water, snacking on some little uh, snacks there, some appetizers. And he says, Dad, I feel a lot better. Was it the food and water or was it the prayer offered up in faith? Yes. And what I want us to look at is we, especially as we age, we have a tendency to focus on the logical and the practical. What did mom and dad say? Let's get down, let's get some water, all right? Cool down, you're gonna be fine. Uh, what did the kids say? Can I pray for him? All right, we tend, the older we get, to focus on the logical and the practical. Uh, and we don't give 
credit to the power that prayers have, the power that they possess. Because when Cooper said, Dad, I'm feeling a lot better, I did not say, I told you you needed food and water. What did I say then? I said, Clay, thank you for praying for Coop. God answered your prayer. And I think sometimes we miss out on those moments because we're so focused on the practical, on the logical, and there's, I'm not getting rid of that. All right, he still had water, he still had food. We need those things, we still need medicine. But let's give credit to where our credit's due because there is power in prayer. And here's why we need to focus on the prayer instead of logical because there are times, uh, and this might be the exception, but sometimes when it's you and it's the exception, it doesn't feel that way. Uh, there's times where the logical, it doesn't work. People's bodies quit responding to treatment. Uh, you have a migraine and you take some medicine, it doesn't touch it. Uh, there are cases all the time where this is supposed to fix this ailment and it doesn't work. There's help in the logical, but the power of prayer puts it to shame because prayer doesn't need logic. Prayer has the power of God. Uh, I know people who have had diagnosis, that the diagnosis looks bleak. And then they have this whole community of people praying for them, and they go get their follow-up scan to get the next thing, and things have disappeared or shrunk to where it is a completely different scenario with no logical explanation. That is the power of our God. That is the power of prayer. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. And as we talk about this, I think the, the natural follow-up question to, to this right here is, then why? Why did I lose that person I love? I prayed for them. Did, did I not have enough faith? Did I lose them because I didn't have the faith? Why did that happen? And I just want to say, no, you did not, you did not lose them because you didn't have faith. Uh, unfortunately, the world we live in, uh, even if you get that miracle of God where God saves you from a sickness, where God saves a loved one from a sickness, unfortunately, there's gonna come a time where this life is going to end for all of us. We are all going to breathe our last breath at one time. Eventually, everybody in here, uh, this is an upper, of a part of, upper part of the message, we are all going to die at one point. I don't see any teeth smiling. Right? I just get a bunch of straight, straight faces right here. Uh, I'm not trying to be morbid, but that's, that's just the truth, all right? But here's the good news that we can cling to. The good news is that, uh, it, it, let's just go right here, the last part of, of verse 15. It's gonna get the rest of it there. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. That, that's, that's awesome. That's great news. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. If you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. James wants to remind us that even if we aren't healed on this side of life, we will be on the other side. That accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross, when God looks at us, we're no longer, he doesn't view us as sinners, he views us as forgiven sons and daughters of his. Because eventually we are going to lose our battle with this life. But we will not lose the war of eternity. It will not happen. All you have to do is receive what is offered to us through Jesus. 
such a prayer offered in faith. So I, I just want to encourage you to not focus on so much on the practical, the logical, the next step, because th- that, that's important. But the first thing we need to focus on is the power of prayer, because it moves God. All right, verse 16. Let's go to the next one. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Uh, so this is going to be an interactive time. Turn to your neighbor and confess a sin. No, this has two parts in this verse. It says, conf- talks about confession and prayer. Confession, uh, just to be real, all right, that was a joke. I see people leaning in. Don't, don't do that right now, all right? Uh, confession is not something that we are very good at as a society. And it says, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Why does it say to confess it so that you will be healed? Uh, that you will be free from the shame of your sin. Uh, when we fail, which everyone here does, we experience a guilt, we experience shame, and shame that is not dealt with is the cause for so many insecurities and so many problems in our world. Uh, people feel shame for either what they've done or what's been done to them, and they cannot get out of it because they won't share it with somebody else. They won't share what they've gone through, through what's been, what they've experienced, whether it's somebody doing it to them or what they've done. There's no confession. And when we bottle that up, all it does is eat away at us. It doesn't make anything better. Uh, when you confess to someone a sin, you're in a vulnerable situation. You are thinking, how are they going to respond? Like, have you ever been in that situation where you're saying something to somebody, and like as you're saying it, you're like looking at every like social cue that you can to see how are they going to respond to what I'm going to say to them? And I just want you to know, when a believer hears your sin... Uh, and says, you know what, let's pray about that. They want to come alongside you. That is a big deal, and that's how we should be uh, responding as fellow believers of the good news of Jesus. Because when someone shares their heart with you, they're vulnerable, they confess something to you, and you say, man, let's pray about that. I'm gonna come alongside you, I'm with you. That's no longer shame-inducing, that's actually promoting love. Don't underestimate the power of confession. Uh, Because what our world does is it heaps more and more shame and guilt when we mess up. And Jesus doesn't want to add shame or guilt. No, we need to meet that need with the power of prayer to get God involved in it because there's nothing that he can't do. It says, confess, pray, and be healed. You can't get healed. You can't get help from that secret sin if you keep it a secret. Confession is incredibly powerful. Then it says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. There is power in prayer. Great power and wonderful results are the things that pop out of a verse like that. Great power, wonderful results. The more I read that verse, uh, the more that not only the great power and the wonderful results, those are the things that kind of initially jump out of you. And then I come back to the earnest prayer. Other translations actually say the sincere prayer. And I think we get this mixed up sometimes where we feel like we have to say this eloquent, I have to have it worded just right, I have to say the right things. I can't say how I'm really feeling, I gotta like hold back a little bit. The earnest prayer, the sincere prayer. Are your prayers sincere? And then it says the earnest prayer of a righteous person. Am I pursuing righteous living? Am I pursuing Jesus? 
look at what it says here in verse 17. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly, sincerely, that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Um, I love this example of Elijah uh, because it says that his prayer life, right, because of his prayer life, he was a weatherman for three years. Not, not, not because of his knowledge, but because of his earnest prayers. It feels like that's what some weathermen do now. They just pray and hope that that's right. That's going on. He prayed uh, that there would be no rain and there was no rain. And then when he prayed for the rain, it said it came down. The earth began to yield its crops. Um, when he prayed for rain, I'd be willing to bet he brought that umbrella. Okay? He, he expected God to show up. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm going to go to the last two verses here. All right, remember, James is running on a parchment. We're going to shift gears. We're not going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about a restoring, wandering believers. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. James is talking about uh, someone among you. Someone among you being someone who knows Jesus. They have wandered away from the truth. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when it says they're walking away from the truth, it's saying they've wandered away from Jesus. They know Jesus, but they're not living for Jesus. They're living for self. And he says when someone brings them back in, the one who brings them back is actually saving that person from death. And then he brings about the forgiveness of many, many sins. And James has been incredibly practical. And he ends here by talking about one more practical thing. Those are the last two verses of James. He wants everyone to know there are going to be people who are going to wander from their faith. People who you thought, there's no way they would ever leave their faith. There's no way they would just abandon Jesus. Uh, and it happens all the time. It happens for a multitude of reasons. I mean, I have people that were on my floor in Bible college getting a degree in missions who are like, I don't even know if there's a God anymore. There are going to be people who wander away from the faith. But James, his focus right here is not on the person who's lost their faith. He's talking to the person who's going to bring back the wanderer. His point is for the person who brings the wanderer back the one who pursues the, the wandering brother, the wandering sister. It's almost like, why does James even need to say that? Because we are all going to experience people who are gonna wander from the faith. And unfortunately, many of us, when we see people leave the faith, we see people wander from the faith, instead of trying to bring them back into the family, we think, man, they just never knew Jesus, I guess. They're too far gone. They don't, they don't want anything. They, don't, they cannot be restored. We just turn them away. And instead of focusing on how far away someone is, how far gone they are, let our focus be on how far our God will go to restore us, to restore them. 
when we sell those wanderers short because we think they're too far gone, uh, we're actually selling God short, saying he can't move in that situation. It's too big of a challenge. It's too hard. Friends, our God specializes in doing the impossible. Doing the impossible. Do you remember how Jesus purchased your salvation? It was by his death on the cross that he, that he paid. The, that was the price that he paid. He died. His body was broken. His blood was spilled out because of his love for the world. He wants to, he desires to redeem and restore the brokenness around us. That includes bringing back those wanderers into the fold. I think the reason we forget this when it comes to restoring others is because we fail to remember it for ourselves. We forget uh, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were yet sinners. And we're going to remember that price that Jesus paid for us this morning. And we're going to do that through the act of communion. Some call it the Lord's Supper. Some call it communion. Others call it the Eucharist. We're going to have some little bread that's on your seats there and some juice to remember that Jesus died for us on the cross. And when we partake in the Lord's Supper, we need to remember that it's so much more than just eating this little piece of bread and drinking this little juice. Uh, Here's how uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 26 says it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, It says that uh, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. The very power of God is within you. We can access that power through our prayers, but it's all because of the cross. It's all because of the cross. We didn't earn it. There's nothing we did to get it. It's what Jesus has done for us. So as we stand, we're going to worship together. Would you remember that? That you have the very power of God within you, all because of what Jesus did for us on the cross.